recording. <laughs> yes, we did it. <laughs> I love your hair, by the way. Thank you. You know, the pink is pretty new. And by new, I mean, probably like two years, but prior Whoa. to this, it used to like change colors probably every three months. So I've been you, firm on the pink. Wait, so you've been, you've had this pink hair for two years. Yeah. Change, changing it out. But like, yes, this is like the look I've been rocking with for the last two years. Oh, that's awesome. How does it happen? Like, how does it start? Yes. Yeah, so these are extensions, first of all, which is great because then I can like actually change out the colors often as I want. Um, but I do my hair myself, you know, to get to this style was something gradual over time. Like it was one style back in like 2014. Then I tweaked this and I tweaked that. And like, I shaved this out of my head in 2015 and just tweaked, you know, started doing the jewelry probably like a year and a half oh, ago. Oh, well, there's jewelry as well. Oh, there's a lot of, there's awesome. a lot of layers to this hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. My friend grew a dreadlock as well. Um, but she was having like, she, she had it a bit more rough, if you yeah. will, because she's yeah. white. So she doesn't have like the apparently the not the same hair kind of uh, texture. Yeah. As, yeah, yeah. So she she was really proud when she got like two dreadlocks, like hiding in her back hair. That's an accomplishment for sure, because it's not it's not easy to pull off dreadlocks for sure. And like, oh, boom. yeah, she was like needing it as well. Like she was like she had these tools that she was like poking around with all the time. Um, how do you wash it? Do you do you use dry shampoo? The one you can spray over regular shampoo, just normal shampoo. So this this thing, when it's not in this contraption, if I take it out, it can like sit down, but I get it out of all of its little entanglements and just oh. wash it with regular hair. Um, it takes probably like three hours to dry. So like, oh my gosh, everything is like a day dedicated to it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to wash my hair out more often as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, you know, I know every, you know, it depends on the, the person and like the texture of the hair, but you know, the frequency of washing, I feel like it's, it depends, you know, how often do you shower? A shower. That's a whole different thing, you know, especially oh. So you can, you sometimes just wash your hair and not shower as well. Is no, it like a separate thing? Shower, sometimes I'll shower and I won't wash my hair. So I oh. don't have to, I'm lucky that I don't have to wash my hair as often. I probably wash my hair once every two weeks. Cause that's just black hair. And like with, with these Marley twists. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's good. Oh, uh, okay. So what about shower? Oh, sh shower. I'm on, I'm back to daily. I was, I was skipping uh. daily in the beginning of quarantine, but I got myself back to the daily shower. Make me oh, feel man, better. I need to like really amp up my shower game. Cause Wait, I- Yeah, well, then I have to ask you a question. How long have you gone without showering? Like, I was gonna, no ask, <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> ask you the same thing. <laughs> Literally gonna ask you the same thing. What was the record? For me, it was, not gonna lie, it was like 1.5 weeks, almost borderline two weeks. That's impressive. That's yeah. really impressive. Like once I got to like day 10, I was like, I could take a shower, but I'm going to try to elongate this record and like turn it into a record, you know? Oh, that's actually amazing. I got really I think, dedicated. No, that's, that's good. I think mine was like three, four days. So you got, oh. you got me beat by a whole week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's way better. <laughs> I don't think there's anything to boast about having a record of not showering for 10 days. No, you have, to, I feel like one time in your life, you just have to have that, like, you just got to do it. Yeah. You have to have that record that you can see, you know, so it's good. Yeah. I remember, uh, have you, have you watched Gone Girl? 
the movie the, is that the ben affleck movie? yeah yeah, yeah that one where she like completely lets go of herself and she just like binges on like tweezers all the time like yeah. that's my dream that's my dream just well, it's funny i always think about like a post-apocalyptic time like what character would i be and you know talk about like not showering that's going to be a whole different world but in a post-apocalyptic era, I would be the person that like negotiates terms, probably try to get us into like a bunker where there's only a few people living there. I'm that person that can kind of make deals as we go. I, I think you, you'll you be perfect for the character. <laughs> I mean, like just as you are right now, I can see you in cyberpunk. Like I can see you. Have you played the game? I have not, but that would like be a dream to like- Me neither, play. but I've seen like gameplays of it. I'm just not a big gamer. Like I'm not good at gaming. Um, so I don't even like try to be better, but I love watching gameplay videos and cyberpunk. I love all things like um, dystopian and like post-apocalyptic um, like aesthetic. But um, yeah, I can see you being a character in that game or in that kind of setting. That's a that's a huge compliment to my Really? like like that same thing yeah um for context like for example i'm a massive game of thrones fan not the same thing but in general i like this idea of just like another world where i can like embrace this like darker character i think that's cool yeah it's the 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 normal society can be a bit bland at times that's why i love like anime because like there are so many character archetypes and you know different types of people dressing differently but you know, in reality, it's just not the same, you know? You know what show I just started? I'm mad at myself because it's been on my list forever. I've finally started Avatar, finally. Oh, the the Airband, Airbender yeah. one. I, I'm like season three. I think there's like four seasons, but it's a really good show, really tight show. So um, finally getting through that. I'm very excited. That I've never watched it either. Like, but it's one of those yeah. things I've heard so much so many people talk about like this is like this is going to enlighten you almost um but i have not watched it either i should i really should yeah it's pretty good yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so uh today i kind of want to touch upon like different uh just little bits of i know i know we talk about uh talk a lot about social media and um i just kind of want to discuss a few things about you know, different platforms and your thoughts about it and your, you know, pick on your brain and get some insights about how different platforms work. Um, I know you are mostly on Instagram, right? In terms of having that real active voice, yes. Um, I am, you know, theoretically on all platforms, but definitely Instagram is sort of my baby, my go-to resume, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, So what are, what other, what are some of the things, I know you talk about loads of different things, but Are there any like specific elements or um, aspects or elements that you kind of touch upon the most when talking um, about these things? You know, I think, and this is not this is not a, a quote that I made up by any means, but one of my favorite quotes in regards to this is, social media is not about technology, it's about psychology. And that is the thing that made me fall in love with social media. Um, For context, I was a film major when I was coming up. So, uh, you know, social media wasn't anything that you can major in. So everything I know about today and the expert art sort of become today has been self-taught. Me really throwing spaghetti at the wall, getting knee deep, not only with my own socials, but, you know, I've worked with creators for a big chunk of my career. Um, And, you know, a big part of that for me is 
loving the idea of personal branding and having a personal narrative. And, you know, I really tinkered with this idea of like, can someone have the microphone who isn't your traditional celebrity, politician, journalist? And, you know, YouTube was just coming out when I was, mm. when I was in college. And so um, I really fell in love with that idea very early, especially for someone like me who used to get picked on for liking Pokemon and Digimon and wearing fingerless gloves. And like, it's cool to be different now, but when I was growing up, it wasn't cool to be different. So social media really did give misfits like me a voice. Um, so uh, yeah, it really led the charts with that, so to speak. So you are kind of more pro social media than um, con. I am I am pro social media because I believe in its power. However, I'm not naive to the negative sides of it. I think one thing about me is I have the ability to compartmentalize in my brain to say that this exists, but this also exists, and both both are truths and reality. So yeah, I mean, social media definitely has a lot of negative sides to it. Um, I used to tell people like, if social media is the drug, I'm probably the drug dealer. <laughs> so it's like not a great job, you know, you know, uh, but. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is in a way a drug, you know, uh, I recently watched, um, a film called, oh man, I forgot the name of the film. It's, it's a documentary. Um, Social Dilemma? Yes. Yes. That's it. Doc. It's a, it's, it's a creepy one because you kind of, you watch it and you, you know, you literally witness the, all the kind of debilitating effects of social media that has on you and your mental health and just society in general, but yet you can't stop still. You're still on social media, you still do these things. Um, And one of the things I remember the most uh, in that documentary was the quote somebody said uh, is that social media and drugs are the only industry that uses that calls the the people on the platform or people who are using it as users. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like almost the same as drugs. Um, it, it, there is definitely something that's very a- addictive to it. And yeah. And I, I sometimes wonder what it is though. Like I don't it's, know what I'm addicted to. Yeah. No. It's it's interesting. I I did a video. Um, first of all, I love that quote. I th- I that like stood out to me too. I was like, oh my gosh, that's like dark and like yeah I did a video about um dating apps and why dating apps suck and the purpose of the video was to explain to people that there literally is a system in place that it's an intermittent reward system that says if I do this I could get lucky it's the same thing in like a lotto or like gambling where it's like okay if I play this lotto machine I could get lucky so it's this idea of you know, you swipe because you hope to feel that rush of getting a match. It's the same idea of a casino of like winning, even though you mm. don't really care about the money, you want to win. You don't really care if your match is probably perfect for you. You just want to feel that rush of getting matches. Um, and I think obviously the same could be attributed to social media in general is that, you know, just that rush of the possibility of this picture getting 50 likes or hundred likes, like we're going to, you know, there's something within us that's compelled to bet that and hope we get above that. And like, I don't know. It's, it's addicting. It's really, it's very interesting. Very interesting. And I wonder if that addictive quality of social media was something that was always inherent within the platform or something. It just kind of developed over the years because when Facebook first came around, which is, you know, kind of one of the most, the, one of the first kind of social, social medias that ever came out. I remember it being a very pure thing, you know, it was all about, there was 
no competition for likes or hearts. It was just all about social. It was all about being social. And, you know, we used to play like weird, like cow farm games. And we used to like share our goal, uh, our scores that we got on games. And it was just posting silly photos and, you know, just talking endlessly on comments. And I, I wonder when it was that that all changed and became yeah. something that you know influencers came around and you know yeah. it's just become something that's different um, it's interesting because i you know i i forgot who said this it could have been an old colleague someone in my life referenced this i thought it was brilliant but the internet used to be a place for for nerds to hang out and do whatever they wanted and then it was this idea of then the cool kids came on the platform then the jocks and the cheerleaders got on the platform it's it's kind of that idea of like taking something pure and making it this like commercial thing. And, you know, I think with social media, there's a lot of manipulation that goes into it. However you want to slice and dice that, whether people are using filters or, mm. you know, however you want to do that. I think people, what people fail to realize it's not, it's not a bad thing, but what people have to realize is like that manipulation has been around as long as time, movies, posters, anything you see, it's all manipulation. The difference is we know we're watching a movie. We know when a character is a character. Right. And when you, take, when you take something, when you take that same concept of narrative manipulation and apply it to real life, that gets very money and very dangerous. And the perception of that can really mess with your head. Um, so that's where I think the lines really get blurred um, between those two things, those few things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's so true. It's like, I feel like social media is the only kind of fictional side of the internet that we truly like buy into, um, yeah. even though we do kind of subconsciously know that it's like, most of it is all like, you know, very much like kind of scripted and yeah. uh, timed and like, kind of planned out very meticulously in advance and yet we still choose to believe in it and let it affect us I, yeah. I i saw an article uh recently that i think a little a little boy like maybe 14 13 year old boy uh got shot because he decided to prank his neighbors uh with like like a, it's a rob it was a robbery prank and he decided to like fake rob somebody uh in his neighborhood and the neighbor got so scared and really like thought it was a real robbery that he in self-defense shot the boy mm -hmm. and the reason why that boy uh schemed this whole thing in the uh, First of all, it was because he was so used to seeing all these like video contents of pranksters on YouTube, um, like fake pranking, but it was like staged as if, as if everybody was knew that it was all a prank, obviously, but to the viewers, to some of the viewers who are watching these contents, they, some of them may think that it's a real thing and, you know, it's okay to do these horrible pranks. Right. 100%. Um, um, I think that, and that's, that is the scary part, especially, you know, you're talking about minds that are still developing, watching something and seeing it be, be okay. And that's where, you know, you can even bring the media into this to that degree. And, you know, even when I was speaking about some of these tropes we're seeing with social media, we have seen it, you know, in the movie business or whatever, but unfortunately that, that is the unfortunate side of Twitter. This, this, this idea that people really only go trending when it's something bad. If you think about it, when you go on Twitter and you see someone's name, 
it's gen if they're trending by a lot, it's generally because they've done something bad. And mm. so what does that what does that tell people about, you know, in any medium you're in, whether you're a musician, actor, social media influencer, that the more extreme, the more you pushing those boundaries, the better. And that, you know, that narrative um just from a societal standpoint is really dangerous when you start, you know, talking, especially talking about kids. Yeah. And also yeah. there's that element of getting used to it and the threshold goes up and up and up and up you know you get used it's it's so crazy how accustomed you can get watching these crazy things yeah and you get kind of immune to these shocking elements and and so the con the creators what do they do they want to you know get more viewers and get more traction so they kind of up and up and up the level of extreme activities and actions and it becomes and I know I don't look it because of my piercings and my pink hair but I'm turning 31 in May so I lived the life before the internet and I and I so I can say like yeah seeing that progression of that extremity really getting pushed and the threshold and the tolerance for for stuff in general it's it's crazy to watch and see for sure oh yeah me too yeah. like it's I, I've lived pre-internet as well and do, do you miss it do you, do you think I'm, you could, you could so go back? Happy. Gosh, you know, yes, when it comes to interpersonal relationships, twofold, it's awesome because like we get to meet people like each other, you know, from around the world. And I have met people in person who I've met online. It would be so nice to just be in such a simple time where it's like, if I want to meet up with someone, I got to go meet them at the ice cream shop on the corner. Like yeah. to bring that simplicity back into life today. I miss that part so much. Um, more than anything, though, I would say I'm glad I lived that life. I, I can't imagine being a kid literally not knowing what time was like without just even an iPhone, not even a cell phone, but just an iPhone. So I'm mm. happy to know what life is like outside of that. I think it keeps me very level headed as I do my job now and just working with all the different types of people I work with, really having that strong sense of self because I lived, I, you know, I lived the whole life being Brooke before any, you know, so yeah, I missed that part for sure. What about I you? think well, I I really miss it too. And yeah. the thing about it is though, I don't know, maybe it's because this whole internet thing, this whole social media thing kind of all like boomed, had a boom when I was growing up as a teen. And so every, I, I was still very malleable and, and social media coming into my life at that point in life, it just became extra ingrained in my kind of, existence more so than for you um but for me is like you said it having lived that pre-internet life keeps you grounded even being on all these social media platforms nowadays but for me it's almost like i miss it but i i don't even um it's become so such a big part of my life that I can't seem to resonate with the past me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, to your point, like if I could, I wouldn't go back because I, like I said, it gave misfits like myself a microphone. I'm, I'm blessed to have this microphone. I, you know, I never sought out to be an influencer. That's not the name of the game for me. I have a corporate job. I, I, I really do thrive in education and taking complex ideas and just making it easily digestible for anybody about the things I'm particularly passionate about. And that's, that's, that matters to me. That does something to me that fuels me as a person. And without that, I don't even know that I would be the Brooke of today. And yeah, I, I agree. It's very much 
who I am today. Obviously it's my, it's my career, but (laughs) I, I really kind of am jealous of my mom generation sometimes like, you know, the seventies, sixties who were people who were going through their, um, you know, their twenties, thirties in seventies, uh, (laughs) when, you know, they had these like brick phones and maybe I'm just like having this fantasy from watching all these movies, but true. I, I do get sad thinking like I'm, am I really ever going to have a Woodstock experience? And I don't mean Woodstock just because it's like, I want to party. Like I've never been to Coachella. I can care less about that. It's like, but just this collective experience with people who genuinely are there because there's no screens and nothing to mm. place them anywhere else. Like the level of awareness and, and intent and, you know, intent, like intent being present in that kind of a space, like, God, w- will we ever be able to experience that? Cause that's, that's magical in my mind. That's true. And also it's it's not just a solo thing either. That requires a cooperative uh, action yeah. in the, within a group of people. It's not just up to you to make a decision to, okay, I'm going to be off all social media and all social devices and technology, and I'm going to just live this hermit, no, no, no screen life. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't mean that you're instantly going to be in uh, friends or, you know, right. this kind of 70s yeah. show because- that requires your friends' cooperation, your family's cooperation, and all these people around you to live that same lifestyle. And that's, yeah. you know, not an easy it's thing. It's experience, and, and it, it, takes, uh, it takes multiple people to, to do that. And it's interesting, when we were talking, I was thinking, I don't know if you've heard of this, but I'm, I've been hearing there are more like technology rehabilitation centers where, you know, we're all addicted to our cell phones and it's a struggle for people to where they'll literally check themselves in somewhere where they'll live without a cell phone for like a week. And it's like a detoxation. That's an insane money-making thing. That's probably going to be very prevalent in five years from now, which is sad that it gets to that. Um, but crazy. It's just crazy how the world works. Oh man. It's like a phone rehab then. Literally, (laughs) That is weird. I know. That's crazy. Is that in America? I think it's in America. It sounds like some LA thing, some actors would probably be. <laughs> it, it has to be like in that kind of society right now, but I'm, I'm sure it'll get to a place where it's like anybody can global call thing. it. Yeah, a global thing for sure. That's bizarre, but I, I can definitely see that coming. I can definitely see that becoming a thing, you know, like, like rehab it's crazy. for drugs. That's weird. <laughs> Do you ever have you ever felt like uh any part of social media any sort of platforms kind of debilitate your mental health and you know if, if so if there if there are any kind of precautions that you you take to make sure that doesn't happen as much i'm i am a rare enigma in this case um i think i'm i'm able to really tune it out i don't i don't mm. know why I'm just, I'm just that way. But I think for me, I was talking to my friend about this the other day. I have the luxury to not, because I am so different in how I look and how I am, I have the luxury to not be in this place to be compared by other people. So it's like growing up, I was very much a tomboy. So I never felt like I had to compare myself to the girls and be the prettiest and wear the prettiest dresses. And I never mm. had to play that game because that was never 
who I was, then, you know, I, I do identify more gender fluid. And it's like, I, I was also not a boy. So I didn't have to feel like I had to play the boys game. So I never had to, I never was in this place in my brain of comparing myself to other people because I was never comparable to anybody ever, um, which I think as an adult really helped me because I think it helped my confidence, obviously, but I don't think that social media affects me in that kind of way because I'm not one of those girls that looks at this one Instagram motto whose body's really in being like, oh, I wish my body looked like that because that's just not who I am. So I'm lucky to not be affected by social media yet in that kind of a way. I say yet because I never say, I never say never say never because you never know. But <laughs> That's really interesting though that, you know, were, do you, so do you think you were always kind of this, um, this self-confident person, I wouldn't say like, you know, of course not egotistical in any sense, but quite sure, you know, who you are and had this identity that's quite clear and, you know, not compromised by anything else. Um, Yeah, I've always been that way. I think, you know, obviously I definitely have insecurities. I think for me, I've always been a person who's been curious about oneself. So I'm someone, for example, I love self-improvement. I love pushing myself, like learning more, not just like just being the very best version of myself and understanding that things are temporary and that I get excited thinking about the Brooke I'm going to be five years from now, like a year from now, knowing that I myself am ever changing. Um, And, you know, just my, my parents too definitely attributed to that in terms of just like they never they never made me feel like any dream was unachievable. They always, you know, it really was like dare to dream. They they really are free in that way. My mom's very introspective, always looking for deeper meaning. My dad's very free spirited. You know, the worst thing that can happen in life is that you have to try again. And so I've never been afraid. Like, you know, a lot of people are crippled by fear and I certainly have fear in a lot of aspects of my life, but I've never been afraid to just live and, um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm definitely just comfortable with myself. Like I definitely have my insecurities for sure, but I'm, I'm comfortable for sure. That's, yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing. Cause you know, maybe it is, is a big part of it has to do with parenting and, you know, I, I love my parents <laughs> but, to bits, but you know, I wouldn't say my upbringing was the smoothest in terms of, you know, them educating me, but also, you know, their marriage and their kind of family life as well. So um, I think that also that kind of contributed me having quite a lot of insecurities growing up and and still do kind of on a certain extent. Um, but you know, hearing from you is that's really motivating, actually, you know, the fact that you're always excited about changing and you're excited about who you're gonna be in five years. Um, okay, because you know like my one of my like the things that my brain always comes back to is like when I'm eighty years old, looking back at the the brook, the brook of my life. You like that pun? That was a fun pun for everybody. But um, looking back at the book of my life, I like life experiences are everything to me. For example, I was married. I've been married and divorced. Like it was completely amicable divorce, but it's like, that's a beautiful chapter in my, in my life that yeah, it ended in a divorce, but like it happened and that's exciting. Yeah. I got bullied when I was in middle school that happened. And I wouldn't have been the Brooklyn State. Like it's all interconnected while also like operating in silos. And more than anything, I just want to be able to look back on the book of my life and like smile and cry. Like I want to do both. I'm not afraid of pain. I, I think it's a part, I think it's a beautiful part of life. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. And it is, it is, it is, it makes sense. It makes sense in words, 
But when you're going through the tough period, when you are actually going through those periods, it's really hard to remind that to yourself. You know, you're going through shit times. You just, oh man, you know, this is definitely going to be a good story when I look back, but man, this is tough. This is rough okay. right now. I just went through my heart. I went through the hardest time in my life this last year, obviously 2020 ripped us all a new one and I'm no exception, but like, mm. I, I was at the lowest emotional probably I've ever been ever in my life. I've never, I've never made it that low just as internally, just emotionally. And I was there. I was there. Yeah, and you got I through was, it. it Do you think you got through I'm, it or is it? I'm getting through it. I'm for the first time I see the light at the end of the tunnel, not, not in a, a morbid sense, but literally just of like, I see the glimpse of Brooke that can be of tomorrow. Like I really got stuck in who I was that day. Yeah. And to your point about, you know, when people go through things, you're right. It is easier said than done. I think the thing that brings me comfort in those times is reminding myself that everything is temporary and it only takes a day for everything to change. It takes a day for the, just as easily as it takes for everything to go to crap in a day. The same can be said about good things. It takes one day and, and the sun shines on you and it, maybe shines on you tomorrow and then maybe it's cloudy the next day but that's okay because the sun will come out next week like the the thought that everything is temporary gets me through those tough times even when I don't see it for myself for sure yeah yeah time solves everything right yeah yeah that's beautiful I mean, not the, that, not what I said. <laughs> no, no, the whole, person, this whole conversation is beautiful. No. <laughs> That's great. I, I look up to people like you who um, are quite self-confident and, you know, can, can say these kind of things to oneself when you're going through rough times, because the, there is a thing for me where I, I think I'm quite a good advisor. You know, when my friends are going through a rough period, I can be that friend who says the right things for them. And I want to say the right things for them. And I, and I do many times, but for some reason, when I'm going through shit period, I can't seem to do the same thing for myself. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, I have a different dynamic uh, when it comes to a dialogue between me and my friends versus me and myself and there's that weird dissonance between like I really want to be that friend that I am for my friends for myself but I'm not and you know I'm still trying to figure out so you know it's it's really motivational for me to be talking to people like you who seem to have a little bit of that figured out you know no, no, thank you. I, I appreciate it. So would you like, what do you, th do you think you're hard on yourself? First of all, is that? Like, I think, think I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I'm practicing to, you know, to be kinder to myself, but I think objectively looking at things, I think I'm pretty, pretty hard <laughs> on myself. Like, well, my question is what, what are, you know, I always, the way I sort of think about people is like, we all have these little thorns, right? And those little triggers where something or a situation or a person might br brush up against our thorn and it hurts. And it's like, ooh, that's a that's a trigger point for me. Um, like for me, oftentimes, I really hate disappointing people. Like that's something mm. I had to come along, I had to come so far to find the way to be direct with people. Like, and, and I'm sure you sense that in, in how I talk, like I, I had to really get to this place within myself to be okay to be direct with people, but it's not, it's not a bad thing. I'm not giving any, you know, it's just, you can say something direct and have it, you know, do it with finesse and have it land. Um, 
because I, I really hated disappointing people and I was a people pleaser because of that, but I had to find the balance in that and finding the balance in that, I was able to find some kind of inner peace with that. I say that to say like, do you know, are there any things that stand out to you in terms of like, what may strike chords with you in those moments? Is it, is it that you may be perfectionist or you don't want to disappoint people? Um, I know that's a loaded question, but. No, no, no. I think both, first of all, uh, disappointing people and being a perfectionist. I, I don't want to be a perfectionist and I don't want to be always be living for other people's sake. Um, you know, I sometimes want to take a break. I want to, you know, I want to just be my own self. Uh, well, I mean, not be my own self, but just kind of live for no one but myself. But it's for some reason a really difficult thing. I want to, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, you know, to want to please people, to want to give back to people. But, you know, sometimes you can do so to a point where it it can actually, you know, backfire and can really debilitate you. Um, I think for me also another trigger might be like uh, just just self-image, just not, you know, having lack of confidence with my own abilities and, you know, my body, body image and, you know, the way I look, the way, you know, why am I overthinking everything? You know, why am I, you know, why can't I just be like, my other friends who can just go out and hang out and have a have a good time and forget about whatever that's bothering you on the inside and why can't I sleep because I'm thinking all these things and if I don't think I I, I will be able to sleep a little bit more and it'll be good for me you know um so I have I have quite a lot of doubts about myself and the way I work and the way I function internally and externally um and that kind of I think that kind of contributes a lot to my insecurities. Um, yeah. I think especially mental health for me is is a, is a rough one. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've never personally been diagnosed with with depression clinically, and I never really sought out to get any sort of that any any like professional clinical um, diagnosis. Yeah. of what my mentality is like because it's almost like you know and this may have to do a lot with have a lot to do with you know my um my readiness to get help or seek therapy or whatever but i just don't think it's going to change you know just because i'm diagnosed or not diagnosed with depression doesn't change it's not going to change how i feel and this is how i feel so no other clinical you know confirmation is going to change how I feel right now. So what's the point? You are you know? blowing my mind right now. And you are blowing my mind because I had this conversation probably an hour before you and I got on the call and that I too have never been diagnosed with anything. I, you know, I have my own struggles when it comes to just like control and wanting to control, you know, you know, my schedule and just, you know, time, that kind of thing. Um, but I was talking to my friend who, is, you know, I have some friends obviously who do suffer from mental illness and he has ADD and um, depression, but I told, I literally said what you said and that I, you know, I don't know that I should get a diagnosis because I, I don't know that it would change, like literally verbatim what you said. I won't even reiterate it because it was the same thing. So we're on the same, we're, yeah, I'm right there with you. That was interesting. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, I think the thing about, uh, especially depression and anxiety on social media, it's, 
so interesting because I'm not saying that some people like brag about it or anything. There's nothing to brag about being, uh, being a mentally ill person, but I feel like there is a small culture within social media where people kind of, kind of put that, put the fact that they're mentally ill and they're, they're kind of depressed as a sort of a, sort of a brand almost. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to those people, but it's, I think it's almost kind of sort, it's, it's kind of really difficult to, for, for, I'm, I'm assuming it could be really difficult for some people who are, um, for like myself, who don't really have any proper diagnosis and watching these people who are actually kind of, you know, they have the proof that they're sick and, you know, they're, they're showing the proof and, you know, they're showing pictures of them being uh, facilitated and, and, you know, actually you can tell that they're really sick, you know, and as somebody like myself who doesn't have any um, clinical confirmation that I, that I am kind of sick internally, it kind of makes me feel like I'm not supposed to feel this way, you know? Right. You know, it's, it's, I'm not, okay, so because I don't have these papers that confirm that I'm, I'm depressed, then, and surely I'm, I'm not supposed to be feeling depressed or down or sad or just lonely all the time. Right. No, I 100% agree. I think that's, that is it. That's, it's almost this idea of like, where does the mental illness end and where do you begin? Because there is a line, right? And that's the balance we as humans have to figure out in terms of like, are, are you are you going through a depressive season or are you depressed? And to your point about like, even just like influencers, is, is it that you're posting this video that you have anxiety to reach a few people in which case, fantastic, we need voices out there. Or is the, you know, I have anxiety part two a follow up because your first anxiety video did very well. And so you're capitalizing on views and a trend. It's a tricky thing. And who are we to go around to each individual saying you're doing it for views, you're not doing it for views because we don't know it, but that that's scary both ways, right? It's mm. it's like, are, are you or aren't you? And I, I agree. I mean, I do think that there is a, it's it's so tricky. It's like, I, I agree. That's the beautiful thing about social media is that people need to be talking about these things. And, you know, my ex-wife even had mental illness. It's something that's very close to me, but I it's also why I've never claimed to have mental illness. I don't know. I've never gotten a diagnosis. I have my own issues. Like everyone's got their own issues, but I, I feel bad claiming it when to your point, you have people out there who actually mm. have these papers and this proof and, you know, it's, it's so tricky. It's so tricky. Those lines and, and the intention, right? Cause yeah. I, you, you, you bring up something that I often as a human just struggle with, with people in general it goes down to the question of like, are people truly altruistic? Like, are we as humans inherently selfish? Like, do we genuinely do things out of the well-being of others, or do we genuinely do things while they can be beneficial to others, serve some self-purpose? Like, it's a it's something I struggle with in terms of just humans in general. So, yeah, that's like a big that's a big question, big life question. I mean, the thing is, I'm not gonna lie, I. I do everything for my own, a little bit for my own sake. You know? it's, 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 it's reward system. It's, and that's what makes me even good at my job. I understand that the, the world operates off of incentives. They just do. You can hate it all you want. It, it's, it's the truth. What are people going to get out of this? Um, so yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting. 
I think, but that, I think that's why, you know, conversations like we're having right now, or just the nature of our jobs is so beautiful because that's the beautiful thing that we can just be ourselves and just be honest. And that alone could, could be a help for some people who are watching because, you know, sometimes what you need is not people telling you what to do or, you know, um, you know, I've got, you know, I've got confirmation, I've got, you know, diagnosis or, or this is my experience. I think what people sometimes need is just another human being just being honest and, you know, be frank about their experience and what they're feeling on the inside um, mm. or the outside, uh, just whatever they're going through in life. I think just listening to that or watching that alone can help a lot of people, I, I, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. that's why I, I try really hard not to, uh, be that person who's like, do this, do that. Like we should do this, you know, in my work, because I don't think I'm, I'm ever in that position to tell people what to do, but the only way I think I can be of help for other people is to just be myself and to yeah. just be honest with myself. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm very happy with that, that I don't have to be somebody else to be this kind of person to, uh, please others or be of help. Yeah. And that's, others. and I'm in the same boat. Cause it's like, I can't, you know, listen, what I, how I am in general, I can easily probably come off very preachy to the wrong set of ears, which I get it. I, I understand how I come off and, you know, just how I talk, but, um, you know, it's, and it even goes back to the conversation about posting what or whatever it while you might have the right intention you always have to be mindful of perception that is the that is the name of the game it's all subjective and as well yeah it's all subjective and so you know even just like when I talk of course some people can watch my videos and they're gonna think I'm preachy but you know I always try to any any topic I tackle I do try to make sure it's a topic that is close to my heart because I can talk about anything and that's but that's not the point the point I want to make sure that I'm talking about things where I I'm clearly having a personal POV to say this is not blanket statement for everybody this is not a thing to everybody run with if you don't think this way that I often present two sides to one argument in most of my videos because I'll be the first to say that there is no such thing as truth. Like truth is insanely subjective um, based on our personal experience and, or based on our perception and our perception is, you know, based on our personal experiences. So um, yeah, that's what, that's my thought on that one. For sure. <laughs> I, I always try to remind myself that, uh, that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> and exactly. it, nobody knows because nope. if, so if, if people knew what the right answer is, then why would people suffer? And why would people be going through hard times? And why would, you know, why is life not perfect? Because life by definition is not perfect. Nobody knows what the right way to live is. You just got to right. experiment. You just got to, you know, experience, I guess, and, and go through it. It makes sense for your book, because only you're going to be reading it when you're 80 years old. That's for sure. That's, what sure. people, that's your book. Everybody's got their book. So don't let other people, you know, dictate the chapters in your life. That's for sure. Do you ever feel like though, cause you, you, you describe your life as a movie, as a book that you're writing with your own hands, but do you ever feel like you are kind of repeating the same kind of patterns? Because 
I'm, I'm just speaking from my personal experience and my kind of little epiphany, if you will. Uh, the other day I was, I was watching like, like I watched anime and then went out for a night stroll. And then, you know, when I'm going out on night strolls, I always listen to music and that's kind of my meditation. And when I was walking down the street, I realized that like I had this weird um, sense of deja vu almost where I swear this happened like multiple times throughout my life, like many, many times. Mm-hmm. And I've just, I'm just realizing this and that I realized that I'm not, I have kind of not, I'm kind of, I kind of haven't changed that much over the years and it was kind of almost a little bit depressing because you know I think that I've grown a lot I think I've changed a lot but it's almost like I'm back to square one and I'm kind of almost the same person that I used to be as a kid or as a teenager as whoever I was throughout my life and that that deja vu kind of hit me because it's like you know I thought I was progressing all this time but maybe I'm not you know no, do, you ever a, felt, do you ever feel that? So it's all good uh, if not. <laughs> no, no, no. I and, and I, I do apologize for being so poetic when I speak. Um, I'm thinking of this this quote that this poetic kid, is good. Poetic is. But good. I just like it. Just like I don't know. It's my brain. But like I think about this. Um, kid, this kid in college told me, and his mom told him. I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt. Some kid in college said, he's like, my mom told me that when you're born, you're born nothing but a block of marble. And every interaction you have, every experience you have, good, bad, big, small, they're all just like chinks in this block of marble. And when you die, you died nothing short of a perfect statue. I think mm. that's that's that goes back to even what I say about, you know, things you really, you know, this idea of truth being subjective and even goes to comparing on social media. It's this idea of it's like, just because you haven't changed in such obvious ways, say someone like me where it's like, I or cause I've changed so much and I also haven't, but just for sake of comparison, it's not to say you haven't changed a ton or a little bit. What, however the chinks in your, in your marble are getting, you know, attributed, like you're gonna be able to, you know, going back to the movie and the book, like you're gonna be able to look back at that person that you are at the time that you're at it, you know, you're that person and appreciate it for what it is. Um, and that, yeah, that's mm. what I, so it's like, I, I do feel that way. Sometimes it feels like I've changed so much and then not at all. Um, but I think that's, what's so beautiful about it is, you know, the Brooke that I am is ever changing. And you know, the Sue that you are is ever changing, even if that's by a little bit, even if that's not at all, you know, it's, <laughs> you, you know, taking, taking yourself at face value for where you're at, I think is important for anybody. And I think, you know, talk about being hard on ourselves. I think we're so hard on ourselves thinking like, oh, I used to be so outgoing and now I'm not, I have so much Mm. social anxiety or like, oh, why am I not there yet when all these other people are there? It's like, you know what? This is the version of Sue and Brooke I am today. And that's, that is that because everything- cherish that now while it lasts. You cherish who you are today because the person you are tomorrow Mm. can be completely different whether it's in big ways or small ways. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to touch upon uh, dating apps because you mentioned it briefly. previously so I've never been first of all I've never been on any social like dating apps because I personally find it really bizarre like I don't (laughs) (laughs) I find it really bizarre (laughs) yeah and 
I, I know for sure that online dating has been around for a while, even though it, it there it wasn't it took shape in different forms. Like, you know, Tinder came around quite recently, but before Tinder, there were like online dating sites on yeah. you know PC or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just the format that's changed. Um, but there is definitely something particular about Tinder. Um, and I don't know about how other platforms work, but especially Tinder where, you know, it's all about that five second, uh, five second, what is it, impression. And, you know, you, you kind of judge somebody within that five seconds and swipe, 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 swipe. And um, you kind of, it's just bizarre for me. Yeah. And yeah. do you, do you, it, but I, it's like, I think people have mixed experiences because my friend, for instance, she met her boyfriend through Tinder and it was bizarre at first, you know, the fact that they were like, okay, so let's meet in real life. And then, you know, actually meeting in real life. And it's kind of creepy at first and you have a lot of doubts, but you know, you get past that point and it becomes a beautiful thing and they have a, you know, great relationship together. Um, so I think it can go both ways um, and everything in between. But still, for me, that's not enough to like yeah. <laughs> take the plunge and actually get on the platform. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what are you, what are your thoughts on it in general? Like Tinder well, or like Bumble? I think there's another thing called Bumble. Yeah, you, so you have to keep in mind, I was married until uh, 2019, so I'm fairly new to dating apps to myself, and probably mm -hmm. like I guess like you could say I'm a solid two years into it at this point. But it was completely new for me. Tinder came out when I was you know in a committed relationship before I got married and divorced, obviously. Um, you know, my experiences with dating apps has been mixed. I've met I've met great people on dating apps, more great people than not great people. I'm a very picky person in general, not because it's not about people not being good enough for me. I just I I need multifaceted people in so many different ways that. I don't know. I, I need it. And so, and so um, the people I have met up with has, has been fantastic. I think um, for me, it, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier with, with dating apps, you think of something like an eHarmony or like match.com where you really have to build out this very extensive profile and mm. you know, take the time to message someone with this swiping. It really just, um, you know, it's gamification. It's turning something that is not a game into a game. And that's all it becomes. It just becomes a game of how many matches can you get? Let me see how many people I can swipe on in the next five minutes. And that's the other problem to it is people are doing this in passing. People aren't being intentional when they're mm. doing it. Um, I try to do that. So when I'm on Bumble or Tinder, I try to be intentional when I'm spending those five, 10 minutes on Bumble or Tinder to where that's my attention versus, oh, I have five minutes before my next meeting. Let me just like get some swipes in. <laughs> Because then you're, you're, you really are turning it into a game. And so I think people have to be intentional in general, though. Again, also because I'm like, because I'm LGBTQ, because I'm also ethical non-monogamous, my pools are smaller than like a straight male. Right. Who yeah. has a ton of options. So it is probably the most optimal way for me to meet someone. And that's what I was saying. Like, I'm, I'm very picky in terms of like, you know, I live a certain lifestyle and, you know, a lot of things need to kind of fall into place. So, you know, as things need to fall into place, that pool gets tighter and tighter. And so um, I'm able to connect with people in an optimal way because of things like dating apps. Because that's I'm so, true. Because I'm, because I'm niche. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so of, that's why a lot of lgbt people do meet their lovers online because that's really the right <laughs> that's interesting because it's like it, it kind of almost narrows 
it down and kind of filters out the kind of more dodgy, <laughs> the yeah. dodgier side of it. You know, like <laughs> if you're like generally heterosexual, sexual, then it's like the pool is so big that you know yeah. it's like it's it's a you know it's a it's a it's a gamble. You know, you could. Yeah. You know, you could get a match, and you know, it could be a creep or like a, I don't know, serial killer or whatever. But and, I, um, and I've had friends who've had you know weird experience on dating apps. So yeah, it's it's definitely tricky. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> what about so? How do other platforms work? Like I know Tinder, like swiping is is a big thing. So is yeah. it like gamifying the whole like romance game, the whole like relationship game? Is it pretty much the same with all these apps? Yeah, they're all pretty much swipe at this point. Tinder, mm. Tinder was the one who introduced it. Um, what makes Bumble slightly different is Bumble, it's the same thing, it's a swiping thing, but especially for heterosexual couples, the girl has to message the guy first. So even if you get matched with a guy, the girl messages them first, it takes out the unwarranted, most times creepy messages from guys from like a Tinder where it's like, okay, I matched you and, and I've gotten this myself where it's like, okay, the first thing you're, telling me is something completely obscure and I, you right. know, some unwanted messages. So, you know, to have the girls kind of be the first move kind of t alleviates a little bit of that pressure. Okay. Yeah. How, how do they like this though? Like, so is, it seems like a very gender specific app though. So if you're like, if you're more like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just overcomplicating it, but if you're like, you know, there are so many gender, um, oh, yeah. you know, no. Yeah, no, the the apps have developed with with times and making sure that everybody's represented. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I they're, see, the I see. they're getting better at that for sure. Okay. Maybe even, you know, yeah, they're getting better at that for sure. Okay, interesting. You know, it's yeah. weird. Tinder advertises itself now in Korea at least as like a a like a LinkedIn kind of thing, and you know, like you see commercials as like people uh, of people like. Is it is a specific commercial that I see a lot in Korea? Is this fashion major girl gets uh gets a match with her yeah. like idol fashion designer? And she's like, oh my gosh, I got a match with my idol, and she <laughs> like, cause she they they start talking about like uh, college experience and how to get jobs afterwards and stuff like that, and it's just really bizarre how Tinder like is kind of changing its branding a little bit from just dating apps to like. Uh, just a dating app to like this kind of social you know connection app in general and it's bizarre because it's still bumble like did that. yeah bumble actually added bumble has a few features they have bumble just the dating bubble but they also have bumble friends where you can where okay. like girls can meet other girls and guys can meet other guys and they also have bumble biz for like business <laughs> networking though you know you, you crowd both of those spaces you just get you know it you know it gets muddy but they are trying to figure out ways to expand their app outside of just dating and it's funny you want to talk about a, a feature that instagram well something i have i'm shocked instagram has not done instagram totally has everything it takes to create a dating package like if i paid 15 dollars a month for instagram dating package they have the they have the data they have the users and they have the ability to like build that into the platform, I think it would be very successful for them mm. if they do it right. 
Interesting. Because yeah, I meet a lot of, I, I flirt with a lot on Instagram. <laughs> that's, another, that's another unofficial dating app. <laughs> I see. So like, you know, the DMs and, you know, utilizing oh, that kind of side of it. And again, I'm like, I'm like, this is my first time even being single with an Instagram in general. So I'm like, oh, this is like another optimal way. You meet, you know. That is true. It's, it's, it's like, true. Yeah. It's, it could be more in depth than uh, Tinder as well, because it's like, you know, you got the whole profile of a person you can, you know, there's so much you can actually get to learn about somebody, you know, just with photos and videos, you know, I've met friends and lovers on Instagram, like my best friend, my roommate, he actually just got home, which reminds me, I do have to hop in like five minutes. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, um, but he, um, but I met him on Instagram. So yeah, like some of the closest people in my life I've met through Instagram. So they should like really build upon that relationship. Aspect. They should add, they should just add that package instead of that useless, like shopping Shop- app. Yeah. Thing. I don't need to go to the mall on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. And the recommendations are always kind of a little bit shit for me, at least yeah. it's not optimized. So yeah, it's weird. Um, but thank you, Brooke, for this conversation. This, this was really fun, actually, like really insightful and you know, I feel like I got a little boost of confidence and a little boost of motivation to like continue writing my book, you know, um, yeah. or Brooke. Ooh, what's, your book, what's your book about? <laughs> uh, for now, it's just, you know, still trying to get out of this box room and, you know, explore the bigger world out. But I think that's really kind of similar to all of us be, with it being, you know, COVID pandemic and everything. Um, so it does actually kind of give me a little bit of relief that we're all kind of in the same boat at the moment and that the world the whole world is struggling with the same thing and that kind of brings me a lot of peace and a bit of you know uh you know a little bit of relief and yeah i'm just kind of trying to make more music and write more and be more true to myself and you know more self-discovery and meeting more great people like you yeah, no, the the uh, the collective pause, if you will, is probably the bless the best blessing that's come out of 2020. Just that that's true. We're all on pause. We're all on pause to do this much needed work um, for ourselves within ourselves. And so, it's not easy. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for you. But I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know you, so I know this holds no weight. But I, I am proud that you you're pushing through because it's not easy. And Thank you me. know, especially that self motivation, especially when it comes to art and pushing through on the art. And so I'm excited for you. I think that's awesome. It's Thank really you. Good. Uh, yeah. well, you're definitely welcome to come back anytime. I'd love to talk to you again. Uh, but thank you today for just coming and being an awesome person, Brooke. Of course. Well, I'm excited to see the episode. Obviously, I'll, I'll give it of a course. share. And yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when it's going to come around. Awesome. Thank you, Sue. Yeah, I hope we get to connect in the future. This was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Bye, Rook. Bye. Bye. <laughs>